Today's scripture comes from John 16, 16 through 22. In a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Jenny. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That's what the psalmist writes about this topic. What is your conception of Christian joy? When you think about a joyful Christian, what do you think? Do you, ha- do you think happy and clappy all the time? Do you think true joy has something to do with a fake it till you make it kind of path? And if so, how's that going for you? Uh, Christian joy, the psalmist says, is a joy of such intensity that nothing can put it out. That's what joy in the morning means. It means that sorrows are always temporary for the Christian, but joy is permanent. Joy is lasting. And so, how do I get more joy in my life? What we're doing is we're fine-tooth combing Galatians chapter 5, verse 23 and, uh, 22 and 23. And in that text, uh, in chapter 5, Paul gives two lists And the first list is the list of outcomes that will happen when we operate out of our own desires. If we follow our heart, that does not automatically lead to good places. Sometimes, most times, it leads to anger, it leads to divisions, it leads to jealousy, it leads to strife. There's a whole list of them that Paul writes there, and we'll call that the dead list, right? But the second list of outcomes is what happens when a person surrenders to Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit, uh, which is God living inside of him. And when the Holy Spirit begins to direct the path, when we start listening to, and when we start following the Spirit, then we are led to all kinds of outcomes that make life wonderful. Paul lists them, love, joy, peace, patience. He calls these outcomes the fruit of the Spirit, and it's a list of life-giving qualities, so we'll call it the life list. There's a dead list, and there's a life list, and God wants you to have more of all of these qualities on the life list, more love, more patience, more peace, and the irony is that these things are the very things that everyone is trying to get more of in their life anyway. That's the thing. And so... Um, each week, we are uh, using the same outline for each of these uh, aspects of the fruit. We're looking at what is the aspect of the fruit, what is it that we are called to cultivate in our life. We're looking at what uh, is maybe the weed that we need to get rid of so that we can cultivate 
cultivate this aspect of the fruit uh, and give it the best chance to grow. We're looking at, is there a fake to watch out for? Is there a counterfeit of the fruit that we might be on the lookout for? And then what is the way to more of this fruit? If God is the ideal of all of these characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, if so, then what part of God and his nature do we need to latch onto? Do we need to catch that will help, help us cultivate this thing in our hearts so that more of that aspect of the fruit can grow? So also, also each week, we are um, trying to memorize a little bit this famous text of the Bible. So uh, we uh, put some blanks this week. Last week, you got a free pass. We put the, put the scripture up there two weeks ago is when we did that. And uh, you could just read it. Not, not, you're not going to get off that easy today. So let's see if we can fill in the blanks. Here we go. But the of the Spirit is, oh, you remembered from, from two weeks ago. Very good. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against no law. Joy. How can my actions lead to joy in my life instead of to bitterness or rage or anger? And today, how can I cultivate more joy in my life? In the text that was read earlier, if we jump just a few few scriptures before that, Jesus is at the Last Supper in this whole text. And uh, Jesus says a lot of things to his disciples on that last night that they were together. They're kind of his last words, right? And in John 15, verse 11, he says, the reason I'm talking to you, the reason I'm telling you these things is that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And so he starts there. And then a few verses later are, is the text that is in your bulletin, the text for today from John 16. And Jesus tells his disciples that he's about to leave. He's about to die, but that he'll come back. He says, you're gonna have sorrow for a little bit. You're gonna, you're gonna weep and wail, but in a little bit, you'll have great joy. And that's very odd. That's very confusing for the disciples because they don't know what Jesus is talking about. We know because we know the whole story we're looking back on the whole story and we know that he's talking about his death and his resurrection, but they couldn't see it. And there are other things in this passage, but we learn a lot about joy, okay? So first, what is joy? Last week, um, we saw that love was the greatest, right? And uh, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but love is the greatest because it will always be, it will always grow, it will never end, it will never find its depth. And what joy is going to be is the twin of love. It's just directed differently. Love is going to be opening yourself up to serving another person for the intrinsic value of who they are. Joy is going to be just like that, but it's going to be directed at God. It's opening up ourselves to God for the intrinsic value of who he is. And so love finds its action in relation to other people, but joy will find its action as we relate to the God who created us. And so um, let's look about, uh, uh, I wanna talk about joy for a couple points, and then I'm gonna give you a definition of joy, okay? First, uh, look in verse 20. I think we need to see that there. Joy is an attribute of God that he gives to us, that he gives to us. 
Um, Verse 20, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. He doesn't say some of you will have joy. He says, all of you will have joy. If you're a Christian, you followed me to this point. If you trust me from now on, you will have joy. And for those of us in, the, in this room, if we are Christians, if we met Jesus, if we followed him, if we understand his gospel, there will be a joy that comes into our life. And one of the things that this means is that we don't conjure up joy on our own. It's nothing that we can... Um, make happen. It's inherent when we're following Jesus. Now, we can manufacture temporary joy. Um, There are lots of ways that we can do this. One of them is just by telling jokes, right? You've heard uh, cross the road jokes, chicken cross the road. Why did the chicken cross the basketball court? Because he heard the referee calling fouls. Why did the chicken cross the road, roll in the mud, and cross the road again? Because he was a dirty double crosser. Why did the chicken cross the playground? To get to the other slide. Oh, yeah. See, jokes make us giggle or groan, okay, uh, for a minute. But joy's different. Joy, Joy comes from God, and joy makes us glad in every moment. And so it has to come from somewhere other than outside ourselves, other than our wits. It's not outwardly inspired, but it's inwardly inspired. It comes from God. That's what Jesus says here. Joy is an attribute of God that he gives to us. Now, does that change your perception of God? Right away, um, we need to understand that so many in our culture, so many in our world see God as the opposite of joy. They see God as the thing that kills joy. God is a kill joy, right? They see God is out to just squash all of the gladness out of life, but that's not the God we read about in scriptures. In scripture, we find a God of great joy. I'm gonna roll through just a few of them, and every time I come to the word joy, would you just shout it out, okay? Joy is what God fills us with when we trust in Christ. Romans 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The kingdom of God is joy. Romans 14 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and in the Holy Spirit. To know God is to find a joy that is willing, so that you're willing to forsake everything else. Matthew 13, in the parable of the pearl, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, knowing God, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man covered up, and then in his joy. He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's what knowing God is like. God himself is our joy. Psalm 43, then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Psalm 1611, and if there's one verse you want to underline in your Bible, it is this one. This is a pretty keystone verse. 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is, in your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we meet Christ at the second coming and we enter into his indestructible joy, Jesus says that he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Probably the most shocking thing that we read about joy is that it is a command in Psalm 33. Shout for 
joy in the Lord. O you righteous, praise befits the upright. Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. It's a command. God wants us to have his joy. He makes it available to us. He wants you always to have more joy, and he's going to make a way to give it to you freely. Number two, it's the essence of being a Christian. And this is verse 22. He says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Jesus says, I'm gonna come again, and your hearts will rejoice. And because I come again, no one will take your joy from you. This joy that we have as Christians is an essential byproduct of following Jesus. It's the essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And to his followers, joy will always be there. Nobody ever gets to take it away. No circumstance that life throws at you gets to stomp it out. Nothing in life that doesn't meet expectations, which by the way is about everything, nothing like that can crush your joy, kill your joy, because it is God given. C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, just like little ducks want to swim, lo and behold, there's water. He says, human beings get hungry, and lo and behold, there's such a thing as food. And so what he's getting at is, in all of life, there is desire, and then there's something to satisfy that desire. And then he moves a step further. He says, if you find in yourself a desire, a longing for a joy that nothing on this earth can satisfy, then maybe that means that you weren't built just for this earth. Maybe you were built for something bigger than the earth. Maybe you were built for something bigger than this life. And until you find what that bigger is, until you put your hope in heaven, your hope in Jesus Christ, your hope in the gospel, you'll never be able to fill up that hole in your heart and you'll never know real joy. And joy is the essence of the Christian life. And so those first two ideas maybe can get clarified a little bit when we give an actual definition of joy. Here it is. Um, Joy is not just happiness. Joy is not just smiling all the time. It's deeper than that. And we're gonna define it. It's hard to wrestle down, but we're gonna define it today as this. Joy is a buoyancy. A buoyancy, there's a nice word, that comes from assurance despite the circumstances. Joy is a buoyancy that comes from assurance despite the circumstances. It's a buoyancy. It's like uh, a child who's in the bathtub and they try to sink one of the bath toys and it just keeps popping up. It's a buoyancy, right? Joy allows us to rise above all of the things of life that should be keeping us under the surface of the water. It's a buoyancy that comes from assurance. What's our assurance? Our assurance is that because of Jesus, we have a certain position and friendship with God. We don't deserve it, but Christ made it possible. We are loved by God. We're his heirs. We're his sons. We're his daughters. We are treated as if we were Jesus himself. And that new standing with God because of what Jesus has done gives us an assurance that all will be well no matter what. It's a buoyancy that comes from assurance despite the circumstances. How many of you have suffered even this last week? Oh, suffering comes in life. And trials and pain and suffering are like unclimbable mountains sometimes. But this assurance of being right with God through Jesus gives us the ability to see our trials and our pains and our troubles for what they really are. They are really just short-term speed bumps because we know what's down the road for us. Joy is not that we are impervious to suffering or in denial of suffering. 
But joy means that we're unsinkable even if we're constantly getting wet. Joy is a buoyancy that comes from assurance despite the circumstances. So what's the opposite of joy? Maybe what's the weed that we need to pull so that we can cultivate more joy in our life. And if you ask what the opposite of joy is, much like a couple weeks ago, we asked what the opposite of love was, and there's a normal response. The opposite of joy sometimes would, uh, the answer would be sadness. That's a good guess. That's a normal guess, but it's absolutely wrong. It's not sadness. That's not the opposite of joy. It's not sorrow. That's not the opposite of joy. Why do I say that? Because The Bible and our definition today shows us that joy can coexist with sorrow and with sadness because it's bigger than our sorrow and sadness. Jesus shows us how. Look at verse 21. He gives us the picture of a pregnant woman. He says, when a pregnant woman is giving birth, she has sorrow, right? But then when the baby comes, she has this incredible joy. Now, ladies, I need a little help here, okay? Um, I need somebody who is brave and who has really thought through this. Uh, would you, and has had a child, would you give us our, your best description <laughs> of the pain of having a child? Anybody, anybody want to take a stab at that? I can't. <laughs> Any brave soul? Yes. Very, 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 very painful, okay? Like something is trying to claw its way out of you. I, I read uh, one woman said, it's worse than being eaten alive by a badger. Is that, is that fair? There it is. Um, another woman said, I remember thinking that being stabbed repeatedly would be much less painful. And then another woman said, in the middle of my labor, I just screamed out to everybody, just bring me a man to kill, any man, I don't care who. Uh, You remember, some of you seasoned people will remember Carol Burnett, and her description was, you pull your bottom lip up over your head, and that is uh, childbirth. And yet, ladies, when that bundle of joy came, Did the pain go away? Say no. (laughs) No, it was still there. Uh, And yet, this bundle of joy overshadowed the pain, right? And so we have this idea, the point Jesus makes here is that your pain and sorrow won't go away, but your joy will overpower it. Joy overshadows all of our suffering. And that's, that point is a different idea than most people have as they make the journey of faith. Most of us, inevitably, when we're following Jesus, we come to this point where we have this thought, if I'm a true Christian, then all of my sorrows will go away. If I'm really following Jesus right, then I won't have any more problems. And if I continue to have those problems, it means that I must not be doing something right. And that's what Jesus counters here. You will always have trials, he says. You will always have sorrow. You'll always have pain. You'll always have trouble. You'll always have suffering. The difference for believers is that the gospel gives power to get through them. It gives us a joy. And the proof is in Jesus's own life. Did the pain for Jesus ever go away? Did the the pain of the cross ever go away? Everybody say, no, no, didn't. But how did he manage that then? Just like a mom manages 
childbirth. The writer of Hebrews tells us plainly how Jesus got through it. He says, uh, in the middle of writing about some other things, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus never escaped suffering, but he had an unstoppable joy anyway. And so joy can absolutely coexist with pain and suffering, even on a cross. And it will continue to do so as long as that source of joy is still present. For Jesus, the source of joy was our salvation. For a mom, the source of joy is that new life. And for us, the source of joy is our right standing that has been made possible by the cross with God. Now, I need to pause right here. And I wanna, I wanna take you through just a little thought process. What if those sources of joy vanish? What happens then? What if the cross was for nothing? What if Jesus went through the cross and there's no salvation on the other side? What if the pains of childbirth were for nothing? What if you go through that and there's no child on the other side? What if tr the troubles of life that you go through are for nothing? You go through them and there's nothing on the other side. There's no meaning, there's no purpose. And the answer is this, that joy all of a sudden vanishes. Real lasting, make you float above it all joy is absolutely impossible. And what I'm flirting at with here, what I'm trying to get at is a world without God. Most people have never really thought about the implication of a world where God does not exist. See, as Christians, we believe that God is the source of our joy. But what if he isn't because he literally isn't? What then? It affects the very center of our meaning. If there is no God, then both man and the universe are inevitably doomed to death. Our, our life only leads to a grave and the life of the universe only leads to collapse. And there's uh, the same blind cosmic process that coughed us up in the first place will in the end swallow us all. And everything that's ever been done in history will come to absolutely nothing. That's life without God. H.G. Wells um, foresaw that kind of prospect. He has a novel called The Time Trap, The Time Machine. And um, in that, there's a time traveler. And his time traveler journeys far enough into the future that he discovers the, de the destiny of man. He gets out of his time machine and all he finds at the end of time is a dead earth orbiting a gigantic red sun. The only sounds are the wind and the ripple of the sea. And he writes this. He says, beyond these lifeless sounds, the world was silent. Silent? It would be hard to convey the stillness of it. All the sounds of man, the bleeding of sheep, the cries of birds, the hum of insects, the stir that makes the background of our lives, all that was over. And so his time traveler got back in his time machine and returned to his own time. But what did he really return to? That's the point of the novel. He just returned merely to a point that was earlier on the same pointless, purposeless rush towards oblivion. What does it mean? It means if there is no God, life will end that way. No meaning, 
no purpose. You might say, no, 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 it can't end that way. But if there's no God, it will end that way. There is no hope and there is no purpose. So all the contributions to advance human knowledge, all the research that's been done to alleviate pain and suffering, all the efforts to secure peace in the world, all the sacrifices of good people everywhere to try to make the world a better place, all of those come to absolutely nothing. And that means that what you do today doesn't matter in the least. Now, we have ways to cope with that. What we do uh, is we build all kinds of false realities around our actions that we all collectively as a culture buy into in a world without God. In a sense, we move into the matrix. Anybody familiar with the movie? We live in the matrix and we try to be good and we can pretend that we have purpose, but it's all an illusion. The illusion of the matrix uh, in there, we only have two options. Number one, we live consistently with reality, but we have no happiness because we know how everything's going to end. Or number two, we choose to have happiness, but we don't have any consistency with reality. And most people in a world without God choose number two. Even science calls that way of existence the noble lie. It's a lie we have to tell ourselves to keep going. Without God in our lives, we are ultimately meaningless, valueless, and purposeless. And the horror of a life um, lived without God is summed up in this line. Here it is. Because we will end in nothing, we are nothing. And in, in order to survive that truth, we all have to live in this self-deception. That's life without God. You came to church for that today. To be told your life is useless. Here's the point that I want to try to make. That's, that's a downer, right? But here's the punchline. Do you see what the real killer of joy is? The real killer of joy is not God. The real killer of joy in our world is a world without God. That's the real killer of joy. And so we've backed into this weed that we need to pull. The real killer of joy is not sadness, it's hopelessness. And so the weed you need to get rid of in your life is hopelessness. Because hopelessness is all that you're left with when you usher God out of the door of your life. What's the counterfeit of joy, the fake to watch out for? The imitation of joy is trusting the wrong things in created things to bring you what only God can. And the counterfeit of joy then, we're gonna say it is this, the temporary feeling that we get by trusting in the blessing instead of the blesser. The temporary feeling we get by trusting in the blessing instead of the blesser. There's a great Psalm that David writes in uh, Psalm 4. Uh, verse seven, he says this, this is a great phrase. He says, I have more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abounds. What's he saying? He's saying this, that the people that I'm looking out uh, on only have joy when their retirement accounts look good. They only have joy when their refrigerator is fully stocked at the lake house, Okay. They only have joy when things, when it's a sunny day and it's not raining. But David says, I have joy all the time. What's the difference? Their joy is in their bank accounts. Their joy is in their wallets of cash. Their joy is in 
Bitcoin. Their joy is in things going right. But David says, my joy is in the one who owns all the wealth in the world and has promised to give me everything I need, even on the days that it rains. And it's an incredible thing to learn. Number one, from this text, we can learn that we can absolutely enjoy created things. You have a lake house, great, enjoy that. You have a boat, awesome. You wanna go to the beach and hang out, that's perfect. You want a classic car, that's terrific. You want cake, absolutely, you should have some cake, okay? But number two, we can't ever expect those things to give us what they were never designed to give because they're created things. It's kind of like if we were in front of a wall and there was a picture hanging on the wall and that picture was a picture of a great banquet table. And there was a, just a, an amazing spread in, on this picture of food and the table is just overflowing with good things to eat. We can enjoy that painting right? We can say, oh, the brushstrokes are awesome. We can say, oh, the artist really knew what he was doing. But if we ever want to eat, we've got to go to the real table where the real food is. We can't just look at a picture on the wall. And created things, all the things in your life are just like the painting in the wall. They have their purpose, but they were never designed to fuel your joy for the long term. They can give temporary happiness, but never eternal joy. For that, we have to roll on up to the giver of the gifts. That's where the praise goes. Robert Murray McShane calls created things creature joys. I love that that line, creature joys. And he says, creature joys only fill a small part of the soul. Money and houses and lands and music and entertainment and friends. These are not filling joys. They are just drops of joy. But Christ revealed makes the cup run over. Christ brings the soul into God's presence. One smile of God fills the heart more than 10,000 smiles of the world. And in that quote, we find the way to more joy more joy. You want more joy in your life? Here it is. Over and over, every morning, every noon, every night, remind yourself of who you are to God because of Jesus. Over and over, I remind myself of who I am to God because of Jesus. Joy, remember the definition, joy is a buoyancy that comes from assurance despite the circumstances. And Paul writes about the way to more joy. Remember um, when you were a kid and you fell down and you scraped your elbow, scraped your knee. Uh, If you were a girl, maybe uh, your parents said, oh, go rub some medicine on it. If you were a boy and you were rounding second and you slid in and skinned the knee, the coach would come out and he'd say, rub some dirt on it. Yeah. Rub some dirt. Okay, coach, I'm fine. Here's what Paul says. If you're a Christian and you've skinned your knee, if you're a Christian and you feel like you're sinking and life is pushing you under and losing, you're losing your joy, rub some hope on it. That's what he says. He says in two places. First Thessalonians 4.13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Paul's saying that when you grieve, and it's good for Christians to grieve, it's healthy. Jesus did that. When you do, there's a difference between the way you grieve and the way others grieve, and the difference is hope. Those without Jesus don't have any. We just went through that. 
A world without God is hopeless, but you are in a different spot. You have a God who has died for you. You have a God who has prepared an eternity of bottomless love and infinite joy for you. And so these present sorrows, these present pains, these present troubles, just rub some hope on them. You know what's going to happen in the future. You know what's in store for you. That's your hope. Think about that. Secondly, in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul says, rejoice in hope. Let your joy come from your hope. And when our hope is in Jesus, joy can come from any circumstance because we know what we have in store for us. Um, a lot of my family's here, uh, right over here, because we had a wedding yesterday. And if you'll just indulge me for a minute, um, I just want to talk to my family, okay? And you guys, you guys are going to listen in, okay? Um, and I, I wasn't... Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't really know um, how to frame this up, so I, I don't have uh, everything sketched out. But um, I have thoroughly enjoyed, last summer we had two weddings, you know, here, and yesterday a wedding. And uh, I think about all of the goodness, right? We're watching, we're watching pictures of kids here, <laughs> and all of a sudden we're walking them down an aisle, and uh, it, was, it was like that, Right? And um, it will be like that again as we're walking grandchildren down the aisle. And I think about uh, the meal that we sat down to, all the meals, and uh, we just had great fellowship and a wonderful time together. And I think of the dancing last night um, that was awesome, right? And uh, see, here's the deal with, with Christians. Uh, we get to go through those experiences differently than other people. It would be a crushing thing to have to wake up after a weekend like we've had and think that will never happen again. That's a crushing thing, that, that that'll never happen again. But Christians don't have to think that way. Christians get to watch the pictures and know that those relationships aren't just for this earth. They're for eternity. And Christians get to sit down at a meal and we get to say, this isn't just a meal that we're enjoying right now. This is a meal that points to something. This is a, a meal that points us to the ultimate meal that we will have together when we sit down at the wedding supper of the lamb. And we share that together. And we don't just get to dance for a night. There will be a day where, where every day will be like yesterday right? Because of the hope that we have in Jesus. J.I. Packer said it really well. He said this, hearts on earth say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this to ever end. That's kind of where we are, right? We don't want this weekend to end. But hearts in heaven say, I want this to go on forever and it will. And there can be no better news than that. That's the hope that we have in Jesus. Even the greatest creature joys that we get to imagine here on earth are just sign point, signposts to the ultimate joy that we will have in Jesus. Okay. So you guys can join me back again. And uh, here's, here's what I want to say. I want this week to be about you cultivating joy. And this is the way we're going to do it. 
Um, a Christian ought to be able to sit down uh, at, a, at a wedding feast and enjoy that like nobody else can because it points past the wedding feast to the giver of the wedding feast who we will ultimately feast with at the, at the end of time. That's every joy that we experience ought to be a signpost to something. And so here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to pick an activity. Uh, maybe it's grilling. Maybe it's a concert. Maybe it's a trip that you're going to take. Maybe it's fishing. Maybe it's watching a sunset or dancing or sex or crocheting or gardening or mow the lawn. And yes, I did put that in there. Just make sure you have the legal hardware to be able to do that one, okay? Um, think about when you're engaged in that, that activity. I want you to think about this great gift that God has given you whatever it is that you're engaged in. And I want you to think about how it points ultimately to God. And let the gifts that he's given you lead to your praise and lead to your thanks for the hope that the giver of the gift has given. And that's the way to more joy. We're gonna say it this way. Pick an activity to take part in this week and in its practice, let the gift take you to the giver. Do you know that joy today? I'm gonna to call the band up. And uh, maybe some, some of you have uh, experimented with some joy, right? We're always trying to get more joy into our life. And maybe some of you have just drifted from pleasure to pleasure because you haven't found the re- source of real joy. You're just have, having glimpses of gladness, but you don't have anything permanent. The thing that you're missing is Jesus Christ. In his presence is fullness of joy, Psalm 1611. Real joy is offered to you today in Jesus Christ. And as we pray, you're welcome to come and get that joy that you've been after and have more of what you really wanted in the first place. Father, we thank you for this great day and we thank you for the great scriptures that you give us and we thank you for this great um, hope that we have in Jesus, that he has made us right with God and it means that we get to live this life like no one else. (laughs) We get to have more joy than anyone because of Jesus and we thank you for that. Would you help us to enjoy, enjoy worship this great God and this great savior that we have? And it's in his name that we pray. Everybody said.